we're doing a new thing today. Uh, we have marked off 20 whatever feet, 25 feet it is, uh, from where I'm standing to where the first people are sitting. And it was agreed upon that given that reality that it would be safe for me to not have to wear my mask during this preaching portion. So we will see how that goes today. I am very happy for that as I found myself gasping last week as I got a little worked up in the middle. So as long as I don't get any further than this, then we should be fine. So if you see me getting, getting close, then someone say, no, back off, back off. You got carried away there. So I had intended today to continue where we've been spending our time in the book of John with, with uh, really an interesting, uh, an interesting discussion that Jesus gets into, but uh, somehow life intervened this week, and reality intervened. It seemed appropriate that we spend a little time today processing our experiences from this last week, and reflecting on the realities of life. And on love and how we should be living. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be with us today as, as we have been through uh, a, in many ways, a, a very traumatic week. In other ways, maybe we weren't impacted directly. But reality within this community and perception has changed in these days. Help us, Lord, as we seek to honor you and live our lives in this place, to hear your voice speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I gave as a title today, Live, Love, and Live Love. I know live love has been a phrase here for a long time, and I think it's a very good phrase. And I want to put those things together because I think they very much encapsulate what is a God-honoring response and also, I think, an honoring response to those who lost their lives this week. I don't know where you were Monday and what you were doing on Monday. I was, I was here at the church for a while. I had a meeting uh, Monday with uh, Pastor Jay and Pastor Matt, who is the uh, pastor of the All Souls community that has rented and met in this facility uh, for some years past. I haven't been in here for a long time because of COVID, but uh, we were getting together and talking about that and talking about all of those things and 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 really kind of sharing fellowship in that moment. It was a it was a nice time. We had a lunch together. Uh, we were in there discussing, not even imagining at all in our minds what the rest of the day would hold. Discussing, we got done around uh, a little after one o'clock, and then I, I headed over to the, uh, to the parsonage on Corriente uh, with uh, Mark Johnson, and we met over there with some of the folks inside of there, talked, and Worked through the different things. All of us living life with just the basic assumptions as to what the next moment would bring based on the reality of the previous moment and, and just this general sense that 
that life will continue as it is. It was around 2 o'clock as I headed out of Boulder the other direction, not realizing that at that same time someone else was headed into Boulder from the other side of town. Who knows why? We don't know yet. Who knows if we'll ever know why someone makes a decision like the one that was made to just destroy other people's lives. There's a sickness in the world. I suppose on the one hand, when these things come along, they shake us up, they shock us, they surprise us. But, but if we were really honest and we really acknowledge the reality of the darkness of the enemy of God and how he seeks to destroy God's creation, and we're honest about the darkness that sometimes exists in our own souls, rather than being shocked that this happens at all, maybe we would be shocked that it doesn't happen more. Because there's a sickness. There's a sickness within us. And it is only by the grace of God that we have the opportunity to live with the expectation that tomorrow will be a good day. In times in the past, it was not an uncommon reality for the uh, barbarians of Estes Park to decide they were tired of living in their town and to gather together and come down in a, in a, in a raiding mob and come upon the poor, unaware citizens of Loveland and pillage. I mean, this is kind of the story, right? Particularly the story of, of, of Israel. The Midianites would come as raiders. The Philistines would come as raiders. You go anywhere in the world and you read the stories, and, and those kinds of things happen a lot. How do we live in a world like that? Well, the fact that we do have the privilege of, of the expectation of security is attributed in many ways to the impact that Christians have had through the years in teaching the principles contained within this book. Because if you go back far enough, those of us that are European by heritage, it is our relatives who were called the barbarians. You know that, right? We didn't invent civilization and good behavior, we were converted to it by a message about a man who laid down his life that we might live. And we were transformed by teaching about how to live. But what do we do when we find ourselves right next to the tragedy? In one sense, an event like this taking place no longer shocks us, does it? In this particular area that I'm new to, but many of you have been here for many years, you've been through a number of these seemingly random, violent events. This one hits particularly 
right here in this town. But I was at the edge of another event, not dissimilar to this, that took place when we lived in Florida. Maybe you all remember the Pulse nightclub shooting, which in terms of of scope of loss of life, was one of the worst examples of this kind of event you can even imagine. And often the church finds itself on that day aware of a couple of realities. And there's a couple, couple things I think we need to learn about this right off the top. And first of all, that on the one hand we're shocked that this has happened in close proximity to us, but then after it has happened, very few of us have a direct connection, typically, with, with anyone who was directly affected. Now, I know this is not true uh, for Don and Vicki Marsh, who I had the chance, and they're here today, nice to see them here today. I had the chance to have dinner with them last night, and they shared that one of their neighbors is actually a manager at the King Super where this event took place. And as far as they know, she was actually there that day. So occasionally we do have those connections and those opportunities for some sort of a a direct engagement. But the question comes to us as a community when an event like this takes place. What would the Lord have us do as a people to show a solidarity with this community and to reach out and be a part to help people in a time of hurting? And it can be at a time like that that we realize... Maybe we haven't built as many bridges to the community as we should have. Maybe we're not as connected as we ought to be. Maybe we drive past people every day, not giving them a second thought, not knowing that tragedy could be right around the corner, not being aware that our influence, our knowledge of Scripture, our knowledge of the reality of God's love for people might be exactly what's needed. And to that end, this this should serve to us as a wake-up call if we purport to be a people of hope who have a confidence in a Savior and who have a promise of a resurrection and an earth made new. Maybe that's a message people would benefit in hearing. Now, I don't think that necessarily the best move is to, in the midst of an hour when everyone is uh, in pain, is to come stomping into the room and say, hi, I have all your answers. No, you're not welcome at that point. See, this is why relationship has to be established. So that when the hour of need comes, there is opportunity to share. The marshes may very well have an opportunity to bring grace and love and support to someone directly affected because they have relationship. Because this is someone in their community that they have met and known and, and, and this person's children babysat their children when they were young. This is, this is how we engage But America doesn't always work like that anymore, does it? There was a time when 
when uh, the thing that faced the road from your house was your porch and you sat on it in the evening and talked to your neighbors. Now the thing that faces your neighborhood is your garage. And you open it with your remote and you drive into it and you close it with your remote and that's all your neighbors see of you. The question becomes this. Are we truly a part of the communities where we live? Do we know our neighbors? And particularly here as we sit in this remarkable setting on this hill. Are we a part of this community? Or are we just co-located? I'm sure these things come and go and there's different different ones who engage in different ways but but if there's one thing that could come to us as a whole group out of this I would I would hope it would be an awareness that the Lord does expect us to live in a way and exist in a way that we can be a blessing in this location. Yes, this is safe haven. Yes, this is a place for us to come together and be together as believers and, and share a similar way of viewing Scripture and viewing God. But is that all it is? Could it be also that there is a mission for us? That part of that mission is an intentionality that we would engage in people around us. And, and there's a challenge in that because this is a kind of a strange town. There's a lot of mentalities here that might not align with your theological or, or political predispositions. But does everybody have to agree with you in order for you to be their friend? Can we get, yes, good answer. Can we care enough to engage? Can we reach out the hand? So I see that as the challenge that comes to us in the face of this, that, that an event of this scope would happen in our community and it would be a challenge for us as we wrestle and think about and try to decide how can we respond that there wouldn't necessarily be any automatic avenues where response was obvious. So it calls for bridge building. It calls for intentional engagement. And it's a reminder to us that no matter how disinterested the people around us might seem or or far from God or or maybe not worthy of our attention or whatever excuse we might use the reality is God has called us to more and that when an hour of crisis comes to be positioned with relationship to be able to help in that hour of trial there's, there's nothing more representative of God's purpose than that. So we'll look for those ways and we'll look for those opportunities. And, 
And we'll look ahead because, unfortunately, this won't probably be the last terrible thing to happen around us. That's for us as a group. But now I want us to reflect individually. I don't know how this, this particular effect has impacted you, if it's, if it's uh, made you nervous or hardly impacted you at all, or whatever the case may be. But, but I want to reflect on this, and this kind of event particularly can shake us up because, because of its randomness. Uh, I don't know how many of you have ever shopped at that particular King Super. In fact, let's see your hands if you've ever literally shopped there. Look around you. Look around you. Yeah. You all have literally been in that space. Sometimes life is just the luck of timing, isn't it? Just when you happen to be in that space. That's true every time we go out in our car, right? Because... uh, you end up in a crash in your car. It's just, it's timing, right? I was just wrong place, wrong time. I don't know how that's impacted you as you reflected on that. But I want to share a few scriptures here today that I think that if we will embrace the heart of these things, it will at least from a personal level be the most honoring thing we can do for those who we may not know, but who in many ways are very much like us, who just happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. And I want to start in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, with these words. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Now the literal context of this passage is the context of resurrection, isn't it? Of, of those that had been long dead. It's not just bones, it's dry bones. That, that nothing is too far gone for God to bring back. So this is the core of, of the context of these words. That, that the God we serve 
can bring life back to even dry bones. And that sits at the heart of that reality as as a comfort and as a hope to anyone whenever we lose those closest to us. That the God we serve is able to put life back. None of us can do that. Ezekiel's answer is, is just dead on. God says, can these bones live? He says, yeah, that's something only you know, God. But we serve a God who can bring life back where life has been taken. Yet, despite the reality that that's the context, despite the reality that that is absolutely true, that's not the message of this passage. This is not a message singularly about the issue of of the resurrection of those who had died. It's the context, but it's not the message. Because the words go on, verse 11, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Why do they say this? Well, Ezekiel is a prophet who's writing from Babylon. You see, the Babylonians have come and have destroyed all that Israel was and have crushed their hopes and have led them to believe that all the promises have failed and nothing's going to work out anymore. And they say, we are dry bones. There's nothing left of us. But God says no. Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. Okay, first of all, again, we have the context of the literal resurrection of those who have been lost. And this is our great hope, because our lives only go so far. But God has promised to bring us back. But I want to go beyond that. I want you secure in that promise that the God who spoke life in the beginning can speak life again. The one who created you can recreate you. We live according to his will and purpose. But I want to go beyond that. Because not everyone who is dead inside has quit breathing. There are those who this day draw breath, but inside is just weariness and darkness and cold. We fall into routines. Nothing wrong with routines that help us, but sometimes we fall into them in ways that that turned this remarkable existence that we have into a perception of just drudgery and nothing that I care about. And we walk through this life 
finding little joy, not seeing the beauty, not experiencing love, not living at all, even though we have a pulse and we draw breath. Sometimes it's the conditions of life that have put us in a spot where we've lost hope. Certainly that was the case with Israel. They had lost their hope. The Babylonians would say, sing us the songs of Zion. And they would say, how can we sing the songs of Zion? We are crushed. In what state do you find your life today? You find yourself this day energized by the realities that you face, or are you beaten down on this day? Is, is the reality of maybe you're at the stage where you're a parent and you have, you have small children around you and, and you're just tired all the time. I was a young man until I had children. And then I got old really fast. No gray hair at all. I'm convinced that the gray hair is the result of the lack of sleep. That's what I think, and that, that's what happens when the kids come along. You never sleep straight through a night again. There's always something, there's this, there's that. It just goes on, and you get caught in that, and you get caught in that cycle, and it's exhausting, and, and in the midst of it, you start to miss the joy. Once you get to my age, you can say this, because it's true. When you're in the middle of it, you think it will never end. And then one day, it's over. Every day, they look the same until one day they don't look the same anymore. And as you reflect back on it, usually your regrets are centered around the times when you were impatient or you... You chose to not be engaged or to not give yourself to the lives of these little ones around you. Make the investment while you can. Pour yourself into them while they are near you, while they are with you. Live in the moment that you're in. Don't live in the past, back before. Don't try to live in the future after it's done. Live in the moment you're in. And find the joy God has given you for that moment. You see, I think one way we can honor the lives of those who were taken this last week who are every bit like us, who just happened to be in a place we may well have been at the same time, you know, I think if, if they had the choice, they would want to live another day and live it in the fullness of the relationships and those that are around them and to honor them. So that's my challenge to you as an individual is, is your life is still yours. So live it. In the moment you're in, finding every bit of joy you can find in the reality that you find yourself in. Even if it's hard, even if it's a challenge, even if you're having health struggles, you are alive today. Live 
today. In the words of the the pseudo-philosopher of the 80s and 90s, John Bon Jovi, sang a song once that said, I just want to live while I'm alive. It's, I mean, kind of silly, but but right on, isn't it? Because you can't live when you're not. Or another John, John Foreman, Switchfoot. This is your life. Are you who you want to be? If I was actually able to communicate to you how I feel about this in my soul, and that's hard for me because I'm, I'm, I'm an introverted thinking type. I don't, you know, I just don't really do that. But uh, if I could, if you're at all familiar with elevation worship, and you're all at all familiar with the song Rattle. Now, if you can handle upbeat Christian worship music, you can look this up later on if you need this. If that's not your thing, don't go there. You might be, you might be startled. But if I could speak to you what was really on my heart here, there's a song that Elevation Worship has done called Rattle, and, and there's a point in it where the pastor of that group, Stephen Furtick, is, they don't let him sing. They only let him talk every now and then. I guess he's not a great singer. So he doesn't get to sing with the, with the band, but he gets to be out there with them, which, that, that's fun. But there's a point in it, and, and, and then the song is based on this passage, Ezekiel 37, where he just, I guess there's no way to say it other than he yells, Live! Live. Dry bones hear the word of the Lord. And if you could hear what was in my heart and what I desire most for all of you here who still draw breath today because we were not there on Monday and because we got through the rest of our week is that you would live this gift. That you would find joy. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Beginning in verse 11. Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us. So we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us, so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart, so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. 
This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he has sworn to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are a blessed people, for you have God's word, and you have his promises, and they are available to you. So this day, choose to live while you have life. Now, how shall we live in this day? Well, that brings us to love, and that brings us to 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, a passage that deserves a series worth of attention, but we're just going to go over it today. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Don't go out there and live and not be filled with love. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not love, I gain nothing. I want to suggest to you the second way you can honor in your personal life those who lost their lives this week. The first is to live, the second is to love. But what does that look like? Well, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. If you've, if you've been in church long enough, You have been through scenarios within the community of those who profess to be the sons and daughters of God, who profess to have faith in Jesus, who profess that they will seek to live according to the word of the Lord, but somehow verse 5 never happens. You see, because love does not dishonor others, and it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. I've been in too many settings where churches internally are torn apart by people who keep records of wrong, who dishonor one another, who, who do, are easily angered, who see the board meeting as an opportunity for self-seeking. This does not honor God. This is not living. This is not choosing life. And this dishonors the memories of those whose lives are taken away while we go on. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes... 
What is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So how do we honor those who we might not have known? Who were in the places we might have gone, whose lives were taken away. Well, the first thing we do is we live and we thank God for this life. And the second thing we do is we love. Every minute of this life. So I had this experience, and it would happen to me when I was in seminary. I would be sitting in class, and there would be someone in the class who would continually raise their hand and ask questions that made me crazy. You ever known people like that? It's like, oh my word, that is the dumbest question I've ever heard. Anyone, anyone who says there's no such thing as a dumb question is not my personality type. Because I see lots of dumb questions out there. And they would raise their hand and they would ask this question. Or, or they would be kind of agitating with the professor or whatever the case may be. And, and I would catch myself praying, Lord, shut him up. You ever prayed a prayer like that? Lord, shut him up. Lord, my brother is a fool. The Lord spoke to me. And he said, how about instead of praying for me to shut him up, why don't you just pray for him? Okay. So every time he would speak, it started out, Lord, please help him get smarter. It was the best I could do. Then after a while it was, Lord help my brother get smarter. And after the class went on a little longer it became, oh Lord you know my brother, what a crazy guy. And eventually it was, ah oh, Lord I love that guy. He's just always that way, isn't he? And you know what would happen? The, the sad thing is this happened to me in like 10 different classes over the course of my time. And the crazy thing that happened was at the end of that class, before it was over, invariably, in every instance, that person who made me crazy, who didn't know who I was and I didn't know who he was, would come up to me before the class was over and say, hey, I've really appreciated your comments and I just wanted to tell you that and, uh, you know, I think you're a good guy. Now, that was totally a God-orchestrated thing because I did nothing except pray in my heart and the Lord transformed my attitude to the point where that person saw a difference in me and came to me. See, that's what love does to us. That's how it changes us. One of the things to remember in the context of church and in the context of how we live life together and do things together is we get together, we make decisions as, as a church body, and, and we try to go forward with them. But here's the reality. 
the decisions we make matter less than the manner in which we make them. Because we can always change our mind. But we can't fix the relationships we destroy. So, so that takes all the pressure off being church board or being involved in that because the Lord will help us. I mean, seriously, if, if Jesus does not come back, do you think the decisions we make as a church board in the next couple of years are going to matter 500 years from now? No. But what will matter is how we treated one another, how we behaved in the context. The two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. This has to be under everything. This is how we honor the lives of those who are not with us now. We live a life worthy of our calling. So we live and we love, and then we live love. Luke chapter 22 Beginning in verse 24, a dispute also arose among them, the disciples, as to which of them was considered the greatest. This story takes place right after Jesus has, has celebrated the Lord's Supper with them. And it's right in the context of, of Jesus being a servant to them and everything. A dispute arises among the disciples about which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves." Jesus, of course, was using the illustration of the, of, of the Last Supper there, and he had just taken bread and broken it and said, this is my body given for you. And he took, he took the, the wine and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves to the point that I lay down my life for you. The church is the body of Christ, right? You know this. We've... We've talked about this many times. Paul describes the church as the body of Christ. Jesus, at, at his death and then resurrection and then ascension to heaven, sends the Holy Spirit down. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells among the people of God. The people of God are transformed into the body of Christ. Jesus says, it's important that I go back because it will be better for everyone after I do because then the Holy Spirit will come and you all will become me in the world. And instead of me, Jesus, just being in one place, now you can be everywhere doing God's will in the world. So the purpose God has given us as a people is to live that love in the world. That same reality of Jesus. Not to, not to be the one seated at the table making the world serve us. But to make space at the table for the world 
while we serve them. That's not necessarily what we want all the time. That's not to say there aren't appropriate times for us to get together and have things the way we want it. But it is to say that if that's all we're doing, then we're serving ourselves. And that's not the example of Jesus. He said, I am among you as one who serves. So we honor those whose lives were lost by living with joy this life we have. By loving everyone we're in contact with. And by being servants to live love. Be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever he enables us to be that. It's a high calling, isn't it? But I want to suggest to you that what I'm setting before you here is life and death. Maybe not the cessation of breath or the heartbeat no longer continuing. Although, Patty, you got brought out of that, didn't you? Yeah. But what I'm setting before you is the command of our Lord on, on the only way to live that will truly bring us joy and satisfaction in our hearts. Are we dry bones? Have we sat out in the sun too long? Our hearts are cold. We're not even finding satisfaction in our lives. The word of the Lord to us is live. Receive the breath of the Spirit. Find purpose and joy in the moment. Find purpose and joy in loving those close to you. And just like Jesus, approach your role in the world as a servant not as one to be served. Psalm 20 is the text we read today. It says, May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. I pray this for all of you as you go out seeking to live and to love and to live love. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. 
Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. We are invited to live like this. There are no amounts of horses or chariots that can protect us from the evil, the sickness in this world. But our trust is not in horses and chariots. Our trust is in the Lord our God. It's not because there's no danger that we can walk out of this place with confidence. It's because our trust is in the one who gave us life and who can give us life again. So we can walk into a world truly living, bearing the love of God with a heart of service. Even in a world where nothing is promised, we carry promises that the Lord will be with us wherever we go. That he will let nothing befall us that he cannot use to his glory, and that one day he will come again with reward for all his faithful ones. So with this promise in mind, I challenge you to honor those of our community who lost their lives, Live yours. Love everyone around you. And live love. Be a servant. Let's pray. Father in heaven, seal in our heart these promises. May we turn only to you in our hours of trial. And should we find ourselves ever in the situation where it is our life that is lost, may we honor you on that day with faithfulness. And on that day, have no regrets because we truly lived this life and we truly loved those around us and we were able to serve. If we're short on any of these things, Lord, Help us to make those changes. Fill us with your spirit and your life. In Jesus' name, amen.